You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, about a decade ago, I was on a plane from Louisville, uh, uh, going back home to Buffalo, New York. I was at a conference, and about 20 minutes before the plane lands, I'm on a plane, the, the bell rings. It's the intercom, the, the, the pilot. This is not actually the plane. <laughs> but uh, he gets on and he says something like, ladies and gentlemen, sorry to disturb you, but we have a situation. He goes on to say that the flaps of the plane, the, the apparently the things on the wings, that they've been trying to, to deploy those flaps, but they, they can't get those flaps to work. And so he says, we've done all that we could on our end, but we've been advised to, to try to land the plane anyways. And so he, he goes on to say, we, we, we did want to let you know that we're going to be coming in real hot. And so the, the flight attendants are going to be coming through the cabin and preparing us for an emergency landing, beep, the, the little intercom goes off. And you could just, at that moment, feel the dread come upon the, the, the cabin. Now, why am I sharing all this? Well, because it's vacation, many of you are going to be on planes, so I'm just <laughs> kidding. But the, the flight attendants come out, and they, uh, the, they teach us the brace position. And again, I'm just giving a kind of reconstruction of these events. It was 10 years ago. And uh, they, they teach us these, these brace positions, and so you could just feel the tension. You could just feel the anxiety on, on the plane, people getting out their phones, people, people not accepting reality, people asking, asking questions. And so, you know, uh, I had this middle-aged guy next to me on the plane, and I could tell he was really, really nervous. And at the point, I'm like 22, 23, I'm in college, I'm a new Christian. And so I start to think, I need to comfort this guy. <laughs> and, and so uh, what do I do? Well, I start talking about God. Now, uh, that, that, might not be the best, uh, that might not be the best idea on, on many levels uh, in moments like that to, 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 to bring up God and where are you going to go when you die and things like that. But uh, I remember as I was talking, I was talking about faith, and I wasn't preaching or anything like that, but I was talking about my faith in God and recently how I had become a Christian and how I was kind of processing God in that moment, and everybody was listening. Everybody just kind of listening on and, and just kind of, kind of heeding to what this 21-year, 22-year-old was saying. Because in that moment, everybody was looking for anchors. Everybody was looking for guidance. Everybody was looking for hope in that morning. Uh, eventually, we, we, we land. Uh, we came in real, real hot, and uh, there's, there's a bunch of fire trucks on the, on the runway and things like that. But I mentioned all that this morning because we are looking at Psalm 25 this morning. Psalm 25 is all about how God is our guide, how God is our anchor. In hard moments, in confusing moments, in difficult moments, how God promises to be our guide, how he promises to be our north star, our shining light, to light our path. In Psalm 25, we're going to meet an older David. He's, he's seeking God at a crisis point in his life. He's, he's become a wise person throughout the years, through training, through learning, through getting to know God, through suffering, through correction, 
They're trying to understand God's word. He's slowly become this discerning, thoughtful, insightful, and wise leader. But in this moment, what we're going to see this morning is he's seeking God. He's asking God for help. He's seeking God for guidance. Now, the holidays are also officially here. Four days till Thanksgiving. You can tell I'm sporting a little bit of, of, of brown or caramel or caramel, whatever you want to call it this morning, but also five weeks in, in a day or so till, till Christmas. And for many of us, that really means we need to know God as our guide. Often it's in the holiday seasons where we begin to make big decisions or when we begin to seek changes in our lives. It's often the time where people reset. We, we slow down. We start reflecting. We start thinking about the year and where our lives are going. We, we come together with family and we start having the conversations with family members that are a little bit easier than the conversations we have with friends and that begins to break the ice. And we begin to see that, that, that the, the weather changes, that routines change, that, that the temporary distractions are, are gone. Lots and lots of things that routinely make people reflect on life and make adjustments to make decisions that, uh, that, that change the course of their lives. In Psalm 25, we're going to meet the God who is our guide, the God who we should seek this morning as our guide, and the God in the coming weeks that we can find guidance in richly in Jesus Christ. That's really the main idea this morning. Uh, I'll be relatively brief this morning. Uh, it'll be up on the screen, and the main idea is this. God is our guide. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that directs us. He's the one that gives us wisdom to navigate this complicated life. Now, again, in Psalm 25, David is coming to God for help. He's coming to God in, in a moment of crisis, and how he does that, what he does, is going to teach us a little bit about the kind of hearts that we should have as we seek God for guidance, when we seek him for decisions. So with that in mind, I'm going to have six points, six things that David does, the kind of heart that he reflects as he, as he seeks to kind of sync up with God and to know him as a guide. Number one, trust in the Lord. Number two, learn his ways. Number three, seek his mercy. Number four, walk in humility and faithfulness. Number five, fear the Lord. Number six, and finally, depend on his redemption. Psalm 25 teaches us, it reminds us that God is our guide, and it's usually when we're synced up with him that we can continually hear him best. So let's look at this first one, probably the most important one, that God, uh, that God is our guide, therefore we should trust in the Lord. So David's going to begin, and again, he's in this crisis moment. We don't know all the circumstances around this moment, but he's going to start his prayer here in Psalm 25. And he's going to start by saying he trusts in God, and he trusts in God specifically so that he would not be put to shame. He's obviously made some enemies. So notice verse 1. It begins like this. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That means he's coming to God completely vulnerable. He's coming to God completely as himself. He's not coming with his car or his watch or with his title. He's not coming to God and saying, here's my, here's my kingdom. He's coming to God. He's lifting up his soul. He's saying, this is the real me. He says, this is me exposed before God. And this is exactly how we're invited to approach God, to present the inner sanctuary of ourselves to him. 
to present the loneliest arena of our hearts to him, to trust him to come rushing into that place and to meet us where we're at. He continues saying in verse 2, Oh my God, in you I trust. He says the hidden person of who he actually is trusts God. He trusts God. Now to trust something means to put your weight on it. It means to put your weight on it. For instance, if I trust a chair, it means I'm invested in it. It means I'm committed to it. I'm vulnerable to it. I've bound my prospects up with its prospects. If the chair falls, I fall. To trust God means to put your weight on him. It means to be invested in him. It means to be committed to him. It means you're vulnerable to him. It means you've bound up your prospects with his prospects. And the good news this morning, the good news this morning is that God is trustworthy. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of my trust. He's able to hold you up. He's worthy of our trust. He goes on and he says, God, I trust you. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt or celebrate over me. Obviously, he has made some enemies. Now, to be put to shame means publicly it's revealed that you've relied on a false basis for hope in some way. To be put to shame means publicly it's revealed that you've relied on a false basis for hope in some way. So you get beat bad at a football game. Well, publicly now it's revealed that you've relied on a false basis of hope in your game plan. You get beat in a debate. Well, publicly it means you've now relied on it. It's revealed that you've relied on a false basis of hope in your argumentation, in your strategy. David says here, don't let my life be put to shame. He says, I've relied on you, God, as the basis of my hope. Don't let me be put to shame. And he reminds himself, of course, of this truth, this truth in verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Not wanton like the soup, but like wantonly. It means, it means impulsive or unrestrained. David's simply just giving a contrast. He's saying, ultimately, those who trust in God and wait for God, ultimately, they won't be, they won't, they won't be put to shame. Why? Because he is an ultimate basis of hope. He's an eternal basis of hope. He's a foundation without end. But he says, on the other hand, those who are characterized by this wanton treachery, the, the, the evil, by this impulsive deceit, in the, end, in the end, it will be them, David says, who will be ashamed. So it's a little fiery. So this is the first thing we learn about the kind of heart that experiences the guidance of God. It's a heart that's open to the guidance of God. It's a heart that's open to trusting in him, who sees the trustworthiness of God, and puts their weight fully on him. And this morning, of course, God invites you once again to fully trust him, to see his worthiness, to put your weight on him, to invest in him, to commit to him, to know that he is a basis of hope without fail, that he is your real significance, your real security, your real hope throughout all the ages. This psalm continues, and we really see our second point, a second characteristic this morning of a heart that's synced up with God to know him as our guide. Learn his ways. Learn his ways. David says to God, verse 4, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David's in a crisis moment here. 
David's in a moment where he needs guidance and help, and he says he wants to be immersed in the ways of God, God's truth, God's path. He knows there's power in that. He knows that by swimming in all of that, he's going to be able to make better choices, good choices, God-glorifying choices. Now, this is often how the Bible talks about knowing God's will. It doesn't say we should wait around looking for signs or trying to decode different messages. Instead, it says we should immerse ourselves in God's ways. We should immerse ourselves in God's paths, his word, his gospel, his truth. David's talking here about an inner familiarity, an inner familiarity with the ways of God, this inner familiarity that will train him, that, that, will, that will make it intuitive, that, that, will, that will teach him how to act, that will show him how to decide. This is similar with, uh, into how an athlete trains. Uh, an athlete can't be taught exactly how to respond in every given situation. The defense is always changing. But they can, and as they, tra as they train, they are taught to, to train in such a way that they're, 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 they're taught to read different situations. Uh, they, they, they can be given the skills as they train to, to react and act in the moment. And this is exactly what David is saying here. He's saying, I need to see things from your perspective. He's saying, God, I need to see things from God's perspective so that he can read the situation right, so that he can have the skills to act in the moment. And the same, of course, is true for us this morning as we seek his guidance. God has given us his ways. He's given us his truth, his paths, his gospel, and his word. And if we'll immerse in it, if we'll work it out into our souls, we'll start being to read the situations that present themselves with his eyes, having the skills to respond in ways that glorify him. But notice also, knowing his ways, learning his paths, walking in his truth, also means that we learn to wait on the Lord. Verse 4, for you I wait all the day long. That word wait is the basic Hebrew word meaning patience. It means be patient. Uh, be patient, rather. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're waiting for an Uber and, and it doesn't come and it's taking forever to, to, to come pick you up, if you, if you load up the app and you cancel the ride, you've given up. Or if, if you're in the doctor's office and you're, uh, you're just kind of hanging out there and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and she doesn't come and they don't call your name and, and you end up just, just going home and that's it, you're not waiting anymore. Wait means be patient. It means don't give up. It means don't despair. But it also means uh, keep doing your duty. Think the prophet Habakkuk. It means also keep doing your duty. To wait on the Lord means not only to not despair, not give up, to be patient, but it also means to keep doing your duty. Think about the, pro the prophet Habakkuk. He's confused. There's lots of things going on in his, in his day, a lot of things going on in his life. He's got lots of questions for God, but the picture is he goes up to his post, and he says, I'll stand my watch. I'll wait for him. It's a picture of waiting on the Lord. He's continuing in his, in his duties, but he's also waiting to hear from God. Waiting on the Lord means when everything is making no sense, when you're confused, when you have no idea what's going on in your life, instead of giving up or blowing up, you're patient. You continue to serve him. You continue living for him. That's what waiting on the Lord means. Patience in troubles patience in circumstances, trusting God. So that's where the second thing we learn about a heart that seeks to, 
to know God as their guide, to experience God as the great guide. It's a person who learns his ways. It's a person who's immersed in his ways. But the psalm continues, and we see our third point. A third characteristic of a heart that's synced up with God is to seek his mercy. To seek his mercy. David says to God, verse 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David's in this crisis moment, this, this difficult moment where he's seeking to move forward. He's seeking to continue life. And he knows that there's something major that could get, could get in his way from experiencing God's guidance. Something big that could drive his decision sideways. Now, what is that? Well, it's guilt. It's guilt. And this morning, I want to remind you that guilt and regret are not good decision-making partners. Guilt and regret are not good decision-making partners. Hear this loud and clear this morning. God doesn't want you to make decisions out of guilt. He doesn't want you to make moves in your life out of regret. He wants you to repent, to seek his mercy, to live in his mercy. For those of us in Christ, this mercy, this, this seeking of his grace, of his goodness, it's a daily thing. It means going to God and owning what we've done, confessing what we did. It means asking for forgiveness for it. It means acknowledging it. It means owning our sin knowing it's wrong, and then because we believe the gospel, it's knowing that there's a solid ground for mercy for us in Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel this morning is that if you and I were a hundred times worse than we are, your sins would still be no match for the mercy of God. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. David knew that. Those of us in Christ, we know that, and he models us, he models for us Here's someone who's seeking mercy. He says, don't remember me for all the stuff I did in my childhood. Don't remember me for all my transgressions, God. He says, instead, remember me according to your love for the sake of your name. It's essentially the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? The gospel this morning is that God doesn't remember you and I for the sins that we committed in our youth, in our past, yesterday. It's done. It's washed away, but he remembers us according to his love. According to his son, he remembers us. And if you find yourself in Jesus Christ this morning, there is mercy for you once and for all, and there's mercy for you in your times of need. It flows from Jesus Christ, and it's available for each and every one of us once and for all, and time and time again. The psalm continues, and we really see our fourth thing, a fourth characteristic of how to sync up with God as our guide. Walk in humility and faithfulness. David turns now from directly praying to now saying things out loud about God that God's all about. Verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. David says God is willing to work with all of us. He instructs sinners in the way. He says God is willing to work with all of us, but it's pride that prevents us from knowing God's guidance. He says it's self-sufficiency that keeps us from hearing God's voice. 
C.S. Lewis says it like this, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. But notice David says here, God leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. It's a promise. It's a promise for the kind of person that God guides, the kind of person that God leads. Now briefly, what is humility and, and how do we walk in humility? Well, C.S. Lewis also says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility means not being full of you. It means being full of God. It's, it's ceasing from connecting every conversation and every event back to yourself. It's having a soft heart. It's living in the reality that we're not the star of the show. Humility. And how do we walk in such a thing? How do we find humility? Well, most Clearly, we experience it by the grace of God. We experience it by walking in the gospel, by knowing God as our Savior. Only in the gospel do we realize that we were so flawed that Jesus Christ had to actually die for us. And only in the gospel do we realize at the same time that we were so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. The character of God, which is best expressed in the gospel, it humbles us. It humbles us because he had to die for us. We're that bad. But he also has loved us. And it also makes us realize we have nothing to prove. We're loved by God. We're loved by him. But also notice to sync up with God as our guide means we walk in faithfulness. We keep his covenant and his testimonies, verse 10. Because it's his faithfulness that keeps us on his path. Faithfulness that leads us into all his love and goodness. Fifthly, as David continues, we see another characteristic of a heart that's walking with God, that's experiencing him as a guide, that is fearing the Lord. David says to God, verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord, the secret inner counsels of the Lord, is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. David says, are you looking for wisdom in your life? Are you looking for direction? He says, then fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord in the Bible is is a positive fear, not a negative fear. A negative fear has to do with what will happen to you, what bad things can go on in your life, all the things that can go wrong. But a positive fear is all about God. It's it's saying, I don't want to dishonor God. I don't want to grieve God. I'm in awe of God. It's a joyful kind of fear. It's a reverential awe, we might say, that he exists, that he's good, that he knows us. David's reminding himself here that to practice the the fear of God in his life, to live in such a way that he relates to God as God, will lead him, will lead to God helping him know the way he should go. It will help him to experience God as his guide. And the same thing is true for us this morning. When we live in awe of God, when we live in this practice of the positive fear of the Lord, when we live in such a way as we we relate to God as God, God will help us to know the way we should go. We'll experience him more as a guide. We'll experience all his blessings as we walk in his wisdom. The psalm closes, and we we see our final point this morning. Depend on his redemption. Depend on his redemption. Verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. 
and he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distresses. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David is in a crisis. And as his life is stalled, he knew above all things that God is a redeemer. He knew that God could save. He's being very vulnerable here. He's in a place of personal darkness here. He's lonely. He's feeling guilt. Maybe he's thinking about all of his, his past and all of his sins that got him here. He's feeling unsure of the next steps. He's feeling afraid of some enemies that he's made. But he knows that God is his redeemer. He knows that his redeemer lives. And it's the same for us this morning, isn't it? Our redeemer, Jesus Christ, lives. God raised him from the dead, and now he guides us, ultimately not based on our faithfulness to him or our performance or our worthiness, but based on Jesus' performance, on his worthiness, on his resurrection, on his life now and forever. Elizabeth Elliot, who we ended on just uh, a few weeks ago, was also uh, a Bible translator in the, the jungles of South America, and and uh, this was many, many years ago. She was, a, she was a missionary, and she wrote a book called A Slow and Certain Light. It's a book on guidance. It's a, it's a book that got the God is our guide. And uh, as we close here, she, she mentions in that book that she remembers one time when she was in the jungles, a, a, a couple people from the, the U.S. came to her, and they were, they were going to try to cut through the Amazon and, and hike and do all that kind of stuff. And they came to her because they heard that she, she spoke English, uh, that she was an American, and, and they wanted directions, and they wanted a map. And Elizabeth says to them essentially that it's, it's so complicated that, that you don't need a map, <laughs> uh, that, that directions aren't really going to help. What, what you actually need is you need a guide. And they said back to her nicely, oh, okay, well, no thanks, we, we can make it on our way. And she, she writes in this book that she never, she never saw them again. She has no idea. Maybe they made it, maybe they didn't. But the point is, what she's saying is that we don't need guidance. We need a guide. Life is really, really complicated. You don't need the whole map. <laughs> you probably would be upset with the whole map. You, you would probably be overwhelmed with the whole map. What we need is a relationship with the guide who is so constant at every point in our lives that he'll show us the next step and the next step and the next step. We need a guide. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that we have a guide in Jesus Christ. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word to lead us, to guide us, to direct us in making decisions, in making adjustments, and leading us in the way. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.